it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry. And also have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. This week, we speak with Harriet and DJ McCready from Mountain Culture. Mountain Culture rocketed to the top of the Gab's Hottest 100 just a few weeks ago, but that was the latest achievement for a brewery that has been exceeding expectations ever since it launched in late 2019, just before the world felt the grip of COVID-19. COVID put a huge dent in what were initially outlined as fairly modest plans for a humble Blue Mountains brew pub. Their COVID pivot seems to have paid off though, and they've been on a tear ever since, one that has seen constant expansion of their already expanded brew house. Managing growth is often seen as big a challenge for craft breweries as not growing at all. And I really wanted to find out what the mountain culture secret source is, especially given that to the outsider, Harriet and DJ give off some pretty laid back, it's all fun craft beer vibes that feels the opposite of a serious growth-minded business negotiating a maturing marketplace. I think you'll find this is a great chat and I hope I managed to get a look under the hood of the engine that's driving the business. DJ and Harriet McCready, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Matt. Uh, good to speak to you again uh, in an official capacity. <laughs> I've gone straight into the interview because we're having a great chat immediately before, um, and I'd commented that uh, this conversation is much quieter than the last time we spoke to you as live countdown, and you told me that you didn't realise that when we spoke as part of the Hottest 100 Countdown, you didn't realise that you were on a live interview. Well, yeah, as I was saying, like, no idea, because no offence, but I apparently have three people in my phone saved as just Matt. Um, <laughs> and when I saw Matt pop up, I just assumed that it was my buddy Matt from Range, and so I answered it, and I was like, hey, some words I probably can't say on the podcast right now. <laughs> How you going? And you're like, hey, man, this is my Matt from Brew News. And I was like, oh, yeah, got uh, that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Time, yeah, I thought we were just having a quick chat, and uh, I was like, oh, I can be as sloppy as I want. Not let it at all out. And, you know, I, I hung up the phone, I think, on you guys because I saw the team drinking and had high-fiving, and I'm like, I really need to go and celebrate with them. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll write you some notes and send it to you in the morning, <laughs> not realizing I was, uh, you know, on air with everybody in Australia who cares about the hottest 100. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I, I've explained to you the difficulties that we have that if we tell it, tee anybody up beforehand, they think that we know the results, which we didn't. So, uh, and, and, and it was a great chat. Like, we, everyone loved it. So, uh, <laughs> you didn't say anything that I think you should be ashamed of. But uh, I, I just remember repeating myself, maybe, maybe laughing, maybe crying. Uh, you know, it was like, uh, I don't think I've had so many emotions wrapped up in a like one hour period uh before in my life <laughs> well again as i've been just having a think about what i wanted to discuss that we didn't talk about immediately after um you know i was going through your social media page and that 
genuine overwhelming excitement from both of you just comes through in the photos not just on the day but in in in, in the days afterwards and then also the media um mainstream media that you've done you know really captures the the the, the feeling so you know have you come down off that and you know how have you processed what this means for mountain culture i don't think we've come down from it at all it's been such a whirlwind couple of days week I don't even know how long it's been since it's been full of so many amazing conversations from other breweries just you know saying congratulations and and debriefing together and yeah I don't I'm not sure what it means for mountain culture I think I think we're really stoked that you know our goal from day one was just to brew beer that people really enjoyed and so winning that was just so gratifying because it just it it really shows that um, people are loving the beer we produce and there's no higher reward for us than that. And you're right, we were genuinely not expecting it and I think that showed in... Um, in our in our post celebrations because we were so underprepared that we had to quickly run to Dan Murphy's and grab champagne and and some tequila and stuff to celebrate and all we'd done for the staff was was ordered chicken satay bowls which has got to be the most underwhelming way to celebrate such a victory ever so that was all really genuine we just it was well, you know, we had obviously hoped that we would that we would make the list and you know even be top thirty but yeah to win was just incredible absolutely incredible just no way to describe it and and i mean that's surprising in a way because again your growth have been, has been phenomenal and we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that but you also had a very good campaign as part of this and as um, people have commented uh, you, you had little voting things you put on all of your cans so people could scan and you, you it was obviously a very considered thoughtful ap- approach to your campaign I think you're giving us a little too much credit there. <laughs> yeah, we, we always wonder, you know, because it, it is like some sometimes we, we feel like we've put so much effort into certain things and there's never any traction. And then other times we feel like we just wing it and go out and do what naturally comes to us. And it's a it's a giant success. So we think, just had no baseline. Yeah, to... I think we knew that being one of the smaller breweries, we were up against it. Um, and so and also not having that kind of national presence in the same way that some of the other breweries have and the longevity that um, that they have. So I think we knew that um, we really needed to call on our community and our core fans uh, to get behind us. And so that's what we did um, and anyone outside of that voted was just an extra bonus. So I think that's probably what we tried to do with our campaign is just, yeah, engage the fans who have already been so supportive of us from day one and, and ask for them to ask them to vote for us. And, and, you know, we're so grateful that they did. And I, I guess that's, you know, I wasn't suggesting that there was a huge, you know, campaign in terms of money or anything like that, but you are a very popular brewery that's growing very quickly. You obviously have a highly engaged you know, drinker base and you seem to have got them engaged in your story through through what you did. But so I guess the bigger question is, what's the secret to how mountain culture has grown so quickly over three years by building that base? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really good beer. <laughs> like we've, we've always kept it pretty simple here. Like, um, you know, we've just led with our beer first. Um, you know, every, every decision in the way we've built mountain culture has been around really our products um you know i'd say it's just up until recently now to where we've expanded you know having a, a larger sales team larger um 
you know, logistics network and, you know, a few folks working uh, back of the house in marketing that we've, we've really, you know, up until now, like every decision has, has totally been made and, and as it will be in the future to put the best products forward that we possibly can. The investment goes into equipment that, you know, as we scale, the quality improves, um, you know, being the size that we're, we are now and that we're continuing to expand into. That's been nothing, you know, has been driven by nothing else but the aim of being able to have better technology, better better processing equipment, um, have have access to better ingredients. Um, you know, and, and off of the back of that, we've always found that when we just create a better and better product that people seem to just purchase more of it. <laughs> um, so, you know, as far as like which is coming first, whether it's like, oh, you've got you've got a bunch of drinkers that are interested in your beer um, or like you have the capability of making all of this beer or producing it. For us, it's always come uh, from the latter. We always aim to make the best and to be able to produce the most and the top quality. And then everything else is just seems to really fall into place around that. And to, to touch on what you were talking about as well and sort of what DJ was saying, because we've always led with our beer first and I've always been like, DJ, can I have some money for marketing? And the answer is always no, because he wants some new piece of equipment for the brewery. <laughs> we've we've kind of never had an opportunity to create some excellent marketing campaign or anything around it. It's always been just very genuine and just taking people along on our on our journey of you know opening the brewery in the Blue Mountains, pivoting during COVID to um, limiteds that we would then post through the mail. And I think that's how we've built our community because. It was very raw, very real. There was nothing, no filters on it, no nothing. It was just us, our our team. Um, and there was like no barrier between that and the community. And, you know, people are always surprised when I answer emails and things like that. And it's like, well, who do you think is going to answer them? Like, of course it's going to be me. Like, yeah, there's just, it's always been about the beer and um, caring the most about the beer and then caring the most about the experience. Our, our customers have with the beer and with every t- touch point in mountain culture as well, whether that's social media, emails, whatever. I mean, it's definitely, you know, very apparent that like giant marketing campaigns can, you know, can sell beer. But, you know, for myself as being a, you know, a brewer is my career before being a business owner. Like, you know, one, I just can't see any real pride in that because once you scratch the surface of that marketing campaign, it's like, well, what's behind it? Where we've always just been giant fans of let, letting the product do the talking and, you know, letting, letting um, you know, our fans and our customers be the marketing campaign by what they're saying. Well, I guess the best marketing campaign, when you scratch the surface, you find truth behind it. <laughs> you know, so you can have a big marketing campaign so long as it's true has always been my observation about the successful campaigns. But hearing you say that, that it's just good beer, um, and undoubtedly it is good beer, um, you know, on, on a number of different metrics. But that was the, you know, the utopian vision for the whole craft beer movement was we'll just make better beer and there's an audience for it and will grow. And I think a lot of breweries, you know, have made good beer without having the growth that you guys have experienced. And, uh, you know, that's that's where I'm 
just personally fascinated in trying to understand what you guys are doing differently from, you know, a dozen, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 breweries that are also making, you know, good beer in their own category. One of the reasons why is I think because, as Jerry from Range said it, DJ's got bloody big balls. Like we we take the risk and we go for it and it's really, really difficult to, to grow quickly because you have to make decisions so far out. For example, like if you wanted mm. to expand or um, get a bigger brew house, that takes months and months to build and ship and whatnot. So you have to make decisions um, when you're not necessarily ready to make them and you have to back yourself and your product and what you're doing. And that's really, really, really difficult. And I think it actually helps that DJ and I are both pretty bad influences on each other in the sense that we tend to egg each other on and, and be like, yeah, 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 we can do it. And, and there doesn't seem to ever be a voice of reason between the two of us. But I think that I think that's also um, a blessing in, a, in disguise because it's meant that we've um, between us had the guts to, to tackle some some pretty big or to take on some really big risks I should say and fortunately for us it's paid off undoubtedly because we've had to put in so much hard work as well but yeah I think I think we've we've had the guts to go for it I also think like you know along the way we've had a lot of um, support from really good mentors like that have that have been there that have, have done this sort of thing um, outside of the craft beer world and in the craft beer world like um, you know the amount of times that Scotty Hargraves uh, has talked me off a cliff uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> long into the night over several beers um, you know I, I can't even I can't even count. Um, you know, I know Harriet's uh, several mentors too that she's able to turn to. So, you know, having having folks to kind of chat to along the way um, that can that have been there that you can learn from, um, I think really accelerates the way that that you can grow because you're not having to make the same mistakes that they might have, or you can can learn from what they've done. You know, is as far as succeeding in growth. So, yeah, I think um, you know that's. We've had a lot of support from inside the, the beer industry and from outside the beer industry. It's interesting to hear you talk about taking risks and not having money for marketing budget because you know, I, I ran into DJ at CBC in uh, the States last year. Didn't I? We, we, you were at CBC last year, DJ? Drink Tech, man. It was a Drink Tech, so you weren't at CBC. <laughs> okay, so I knew it was Drink Tech. And, uh, it was one of those things we were drinking at, though. <laughs> I, I, had a va- I had a vague memory of you being in there. Uh, was beer uh, in, there. <laughs> yeah. No, I knew it was Drink Tech and I was going to come to that. Um, but the the equipment you were looking at was, you know, expensive um, equipment, you know, that was very quality, you know, and all of the things you talked about, automation and, and, and getting your costs down. But at the same time, there is a cost in that. And, you know, mountain culture is 100% the two of you, you know. So there, there, there's, there's no cashed up investors behind or anything like that um, to, 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 to give you and that's the position a lot of breweries are in and I always look at growing a business as being like one of those Age of Empires strategy games where, you know, <laughs> you need wood to build houses. I'm the guy with the loincloth and the club. That's as far as that, <laughs> But you need to cut down wood to build houses so you can have more workers, but you need more food. And, you know, you're constantly looking at to grow your, your, 
there are so many things that need to grow. And you guys, you know, it, w- w- with a brewery to pay for the sales rep to sell more beer, you have to have that beer to sell, which means you need to have a bigger, you know, tank. And then you 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 you're yeah. either losing money while they're building it up, or you you know, but there are just so many challenging decisions that so many breweries seem to, you know. Uh, either not know or get wrong, and and you guys seem to be threading that really challenging needle. Um, and you know, is it that your, your your chances haven't caught up with you yet, or you know, is, is there something a little bit more, which sometimes happens? You know, sometimes businesses just get lucky, um, but that doesn't. That's not my observation of what you guys have done. Yeah, look, um, we've always we've always pushed ourselves, like you know, like Harry said, we've always taken giant risk we've also taken like <laughs> we're not taking steps we're taking leaps you know as, as far as how we've grown everything like i'm not gonna lie there's been plenty of close calls to where we're like ooh, uh, that's uh that's that's really getting close to the edge there that's uh you know like there's like i think we've we've learned to thrive in that like that pressure of um the constant like Oh, uh, we don't have a cashed up investor behind us. We don't have those deep pockets to finally, you know, that, that we can just always turn to and screw it. Let's just go out and get drunk and we'll, you know, it uh, doesn't matter. We'll, we'll just ask for more cash or, or whatever. Um, I think is has also like that fear of death almost um, has made us so um, focused on the success of the business and, you know, maintaining um, not only like excitement around the brand, quality of product, but also like really focusing on the business side of, of the brewery and, and making sure that like we're, you know, dotting our I's and crossing our T's and that we're constantly looking at cash flow and constantly looking at like making sure that we're covered, um, you know, and we can continue to keep, uh, you know, uh, well-staffed uh, brewery um, and and fun still like those things like hey um, we're doing a collaboration and we want to spend like five grand extra on this beer uh, we're gonna lose money on it but it's gonna be awesome and people are gonna get stoked um, so like yeah it's definitely been um, very tricky and there I would definitely say there's been times where we've gotten lucky and we've gotten very scared of how close we've come I, I can see from the outside looking in it it probably does look like a fairly magical journey but there have been so many times where it has not felt like anything was going our way but there have been a few things where luck was definitely on our side for example when we had committed to EMU, our second our production facility in Emu Plains, um, we knew obviously there was probably going to be a lag time between when we'd have to start paying rent on that building and when we could actually start producing beer. And we were thinking it'd be about a year, which is quite a drain on the finances. However, luckily enough, DJ got a call from his old employees, Premier Stainless, who make brew houses, saying, hey, there's a um, brewery that's just gone out of business in the US. They, they can't take their brew house it's exactly built to the specs you wanted. Do you guys want it? it can be shipped and ready, you know, in a matter of months. And we were like, hell yeah. And that's just, you know, a case of pure luck that that happened for us, that we that we kind of shaved. Well, it meant that we were up and brewing within months rather than years. We literally got Emu Plains from the time we signed the lease of the place or signed for the building. 
Um, so the time we were making beer was five months. And that's got to be um, like a record. That's yeah. insanely fast. <laughs> and so that's a classic example of that was luck. That was yep. zero hard work on our part. And and but we in saying that we were primed and ready to take an opportunity like that um, had it come our way. So yeah, it, it, it's definitely been extremely difficult. And I I, I don't want people to see our journey with like rose colored glasses on because you know we have a giant bank debt we have all those other kind of things it's not just you know it's not as easy as it might look please don't hear that i'm describing the journey as magical and that it's you know you've just snagged it and that's exactly why i'm asking those questions because it's very easy to assume that this has been easy for you and uh it doesn't happen for everybody and that's for, for, for our industry podcast, exactly where I'm trying to uh, you know, get you to share a little bit of your secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone can do it. Yeah, <laughs> so. fair enough. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, I you know, I, I don't know. Like, there's, there's, there's been a lot of um, risk involved, a lot of stress, a lot of just insanely long days, months, <laughs> you know, uh, that have gone into, I remember when we were opening up Emi Plains, I just had a, a cot down there because I think our daughter was maybe eight months old at that point. We were running Katoomba, so I'd leave home at like 5.30 in the morning, come here to Katoomba. We'd, I'd do the first mash in, shift brewers would show up at like, you know, 7.30, 8 in the morning, um, drive down to Emi Plains, work with the tradies all day building, then they would kind of rack off around five or six and I would work in there until maybe like nine, 10 at night, drive back home and go to sleep and just do it all every day. You know, it's, uh, you know, and Harry would have the same, like Harriet was, uh, you know, probably Dorothy was a week old and she was back in here. Um, you know, I did payroll from the hospital bed, which I'm not proud of. I wouldn't recommend it, but that's what you have to do when you, when you run a small business. I think, you know, at that time, like that was probably, you know, a very, very tricky, tricky time, like, you know, expanding out of this original place and getting Emi planes going. Um, you know, now we're at a staff of about 75 folks who work for mountain culture. Um, things you know there's a bit more delegation that can go on there's you know we have a we have a large production team you know i i really um everybody puts me forward for being the the brewer but you know really it's like um there a lot of you know status quo is my old recipe but you know we we've we've brought in uh you know a gun production manager from from the states um you know we've got guy up here in katsumba who's who's amazing who's also from the u.s um we've got uh, a really just, you know, honed in production staff, marketing staff, you know, the whole team is, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll have those weeks where I look up and I'm like, I don't even think they need us here anymore, actually. Like, well, it's four o'clock, man, go home and go for a mountain bike ride. Um, you know, so it, it goes in those like ebbs and flows of like, you know, if, if you had spoken to me a year ago and been like, yeah, you're going to sometimes find yourself being bored in the office uh by the middle of the afternoon i'd be like yeah right go <laughs> but <laughs> again that's another hallmark to me of the success of a brewery because we see so many breweries driven by passion but mining that passion to survive um and not looking at caring for the people that are involved was that something that you'd built into your business plan to make sure that it wasn't relying on your energy to keep all of the plates up that you guys could have time to look after yourselves and your relationship i'd imagine 
For sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, one, like, we have a we have a young team. I think for us being, you know, in the positions that we are, Harriet and I are both, um, you know, very young for that. And um, I think that that works really well because, like, we know how to communicate with the people that are, you know, um, in the you know, still senior roles for our company. Um, and, and nothing seems to kill energy and culture more than like micromanaging and, and stealing away um, people's creativity because it's it's grown way beyond us now at this point. You know, it's like, sure, Harry and I are the founders, but really like we're not what makes mountain culture great anymore. Like it's the team that makes mountain culture great. And, you know, like a lot of people look at, a staff of 75 and they say, oh, what a liability. But for us, a staff of 75 is an amazing asset because the creativity that comes out now, the, the engagement that, you know, our, our team has with each other and, and the ideas that come up and the things that get executed are way, way beyond what we could just do on our own. Um, so it's always been extremely important to us. And it's, it's really, you know, as I see it, the future of what will make us relevant in 10, 20 years as opposed to saying, oh, yeah, no, Harry and I have it all figured out right now. You owe all of the listeners a round of drinks now, just so you know. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, what I'm always told when I forget to, uh, I'll just make sure mine is off. Um, uh, it, it, it's interesting in, in, in saying that about your staff, but then also, obviously, you don't have a group of people behind you that you you know, owe money to, um, you know, investors who have a say over the business. You know, how much does that benefit the company that it is you two making the decisions and you get to to, to follow the course that you want to make without other parties or a, a board or anybody, you know, having an input into the into the vision for your baby, I guess you'd uh, describe it. I guess we don't know any, any different... Um so maybe having, you know, all those heads would actually be quite helpful. But I think for us, what we found is that we always had such a strong vision of what we wanted to do and how we wanted Mountain Culture to be that not having anyone distract us from that really meant that we could just go all in and never really stray from that vision or never get distracted by that vision from because maybe someone else wanted us to do another style of beer that we weren't as passionate about or whatever it would have been. So I think for us, um, it's also meant that we can be really nimble and change tack really quickly because it's just the two of us that need to approve or sign off on something. And that was really helpful back in COVID days when, you know, we went online within seven days, which I can't imagine that being um, done as quickly and easily at, at, at somewhere that was bigger and potentially would have had to get approvals um, to be able to do that kind of thing. So for us, it's been a real blessing. And um, I think, yeah, while we don't have anyone in a shareholder position or anything like that, we, we do obviously look to um, our mentors for that kind of guidance for, for bigger picture stuff. So we sort of almost get the perks without having... Not that it's downsides, not the shareholders' downsides, but any of that kind of um, potential input on your business that you might not appreciate. And flexibility is something that we've touched on with you guys before because we did track your journey 
during COVID, and we've had you on the podcast. I think Claire's spoken to you uh, on the podcast about some of that. And anyone who wants to hear that, you know, sure, it must have been harrowing um, time for you uh, to open a, a a brew pub that was relying on people coming in at the time that we're all being told to stay home. Yeah, that was, you know, you talk about the success of mountain culture, and I think that was actually really pivotal because we opened up at a time that was really uh, challenging, first with the bushfires and then with COVID, that it meant we um, were always so conscious of our cash flow right from the get-go because we didn't have an opportunity to kind of slack off on that front. We never had that like, oh, hey, we've got this cash buffer here, we can do something. So it was, and it was a, it was a real kind of sink or swim moment for us and it if anything it gave us getting through to the other side gave us a real sense of confidence in our abilities that I don't think we would have had had we not gone through that and it made us more willing I think to take on bigger risks that then presented themselves like you know for example are you going to keep expanding and it's like well hey we just survived bushfires we just survived COVID maybe we can do it like yeah let's give it a go and it you know it was definitely a, a crash course in communicating both as business partners, as husband and wife, you know, you throw a new baby in the mix there and I'm not sure you can get <laughs> any more challenging than that. But yeah, it was it was an awesome way to learn, um, yeah, crash course in business and all those kind of things. So I actually think that um, it was a good thing, really, rather than a negative for us. Something that I haven't seen commented on um, in all of the you know the endless discussion and dissection of the hottest 100 results is that this year Harriet and DJ uh, you know took over from Tracy and Richard as being the the number one breweries. Is there something to you know you you, know, you two being uh, husband and wife and you know Richard and Tracy being husband and wife that you know that adds to a business? I would say so. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's I, again, like everything, uh, you're going to hate me, blessing and a curse. <laughs> um, no, I agree. You know, there's, there's, um, there's, there's so many times where, you know, like I was saying before, building any plans where, you know, I'm just gone all the time. And then Amy Blaine's gets built and then it's like, oh yeah, I've got to go and go to Perth for a beer festival or down to, you know, uh, to Melbourne for a time tech. this month or to <laughs> Munich to go and drink with Matt at a very important beer convention. <laughs> um, but, you know, like those kind of things where it, 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 they, they are almost like borderline things, but it's like, hey, you know, that like it actually is important for the business and, you know, to have your partner involved with the business, your partner can definitely see that and, you know, there's less of a like, oh, are you sure that you need to, you know, go out with the team tonight and have beers at the pub? Because like your partner's like, oh yeah, see the whole team's put in a go out, out and have beer. beers at the pub because you need to. <laughs> oh yeah, like that's going to be good for everybody. There's or vice a level versa, of understanding like, there that yeah. I think you only get when you're working in the business together of of, of why it's so demanding, of the level of stress um, that, that's reciprocated. Like he understands why I might be stressed one week and vice versa, and I actually and that really helps uh, on a family level, but also on a work level as well, and. Um, I do think that having, you know, it's not always easy having your life partner be your business partner, but the flip side of that is you get to build something together and it is so rewarding to see a dream that you've both had come to fruition and that's so unique and so special and, you know, you're sharing that with your best friend and I think that's, I think that's 
been incredible for me. It's one of my favourite parts of the whole of mountain culture is that I get to build this with my husband and, and it's, I just love it. I'm tearing up a little bit, I have to say. CJ <laughs> isn't. Uh, CJ's not. <laughs> it's always there, Matt. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I definitely second that. <laughs> But seriously, did you put any rules around it? I, I interviewed Peter and Brendan Fielding, another highly successful husband and wife uh, you know, partnership in, in, in this industry. Um, and Brendan and Peter um, you know, had a rule that the marriage always came before the business and they would close the business before they ended the marriage, essentially. Um, you know, did, did you guys have any sort of discussion about it beforehand or put in any rules or has it been another thing that you've learned as you go? Oh, look, I mean, I, I don't think we have really rules for anything that we do uh, within the company or within life. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, we... Well, that, that is something we have discussed, though. And I, I do think that that couple are right in that you don't have a business if you don't have a marriage. Because if, you're, if your marriage is breaking down, that's going to filter through to the business and that's going to create all sorts of culture problems. It's just, it'll, it'll throw the business off track. So I do think that you need to prioritise the marriage first. And then um, I think we're very fortunate in that we both have very different skill sets and we can actually go days without seeing each other or talking to each other about the business in the office or and even at work, we don't really talk about it that much outside of it. So um, we are lucky in the sense that we're not, you know, I trust him with everything that goes on in the brew and he trusts me with everything that kind of goes on the marketing side. So there's not that much of a crossover, um, which I think is 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 handy, really. But um, I, I do think that while DJ's being very cavalier, I think that I would, I'm going to say <laughs> the marriage comes first. I agree with that. I don't want to start a fight about your marriage. <laughs> That's where it all broke down. When, I, when did Mountain Culture go south? Oh, we had yeah. Matt Kierkegaard asked that question. <laughs> you can pinpoint it. Um, looking at, at, at the win, you know, what does – Clearly, the business has been growing and, you know, it's got a great reputation, sales are there, but what does climbing the peak of the Hottest 100 mean? Did the next day you sell out of beer um, or, you know, were the phones just ringing off the hook for, for people wanting it or was it, you know, what happened? Well, look, I mean, I, I think that, you know, yeah, there, there's definitely been a good bit of um, media attention through it. Like, you know, we, we're already nationally distributed, you know, so we, we've already got relationships with um, more independent wholesalers than I can even count, um, there, you know, which has been very supportive of us from day one. But, you know, we also have um, and have been nationally uh, rolled out by both of the major um, off-premise, uh, you know, suppliers, uh, Endeavor and Kohl's. So, you know, as far as that stuff goes, like, we already had all of those channels in place. Like, I feel like, you know, we've, we were already very supported by sales um, channels before before winning the Hottest 100. Um, you know, I think, I think for us, really, it was... The, the biggest thing uh, so far has just been validation for the team, you know, to where these folks, like, we are not the the easiest company to work for. Like, I will be very honest. Like, it, you know, we, we 
want a strong culture. We, you know, we really value the team and, and what they can contribute, but like, we're not like a chill, come in whenever you want, hang out around the coffee machine, have a long chat kind of company. Like we're getting shit done. Like we, we've been growing 400% year on year for a reason. And that's because like we do things, you know, and we expect our team to be doing things and pushing. So like, I think for the team to like get to step back and be like, holy hell, we just won the hottest 100. Like what we're doing is actually like paying off and, and people are appreciating it. Like, I think, you know, as far as what I can see, like mm-hmm. that's been the, the biggest reward out of it. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward, uh, you know, where does mountain culture go to from here? What are your plans? Well, we're in the midst of our third major expansion right now. So, uh, you know, as, as we chatted about when we were in Germany, why, why I was a drink tech was that, um, you know, we've, we purchased, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of new German brewing equipment. It's like we started out uh, using a lot of American-made stuff, but I think we've outgrown my... Uh, my my old fellow countrymen from the states uh, because there's there's not many um, U.S. you know beer equipment manufacturers that would really cater to the size that we're going to. So we're currently now uh, working with the Germans. Um, Are you happy to say who who you're working with? Because it's always interesting yeah, to see. Absolutely. So you know, as I mentioned, Scotty Hargraves is a big mentor of mine. So he introduced me to Crohn's. Um, so we're working with Crohn's for um, our packaging equipment for our canning line, which has just been installed. Um, we're sorry to a few of our um, big uh, limited release fans because we've had a few issues with our labeler over the last couple of weeks. So the limiteds have been pretty limited coming out. But, um, you know, the new canning line is... Um, it's a massive upgrade. It's it's basically we used to be maxing out about fifty cans a minute for production. Now we can go up to two hundred and fifty cans a minute uh, run speed. So that's been huge. And then um, for our brew house, we're working uh, with a company called GEA. So we'll be the first uh, Australian craft brewery to actually use uh, GEA for brew house. Um, so GEA is very very actually popular in the U.S. Uh, with breweries like Sierra Nevada or um, Treehouse or um, New Belgium, they all use GEA. Like they make incredibly like advanced um, brewing equipment um, that you know will really improve the product quality. So uh, that should be online for us in May. So it'll take our output. You know, it, it's really how long is a piece of string? Like if we if we can find enough places to plug tanks in probably take our output up to like, you know, 16, 18 million liters per annum if we wanted. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're really shooting for getting to that like 7 to 8 million liters over the next couple of years to, to supply through our, um, all of our sales chains. And how about beer? Obviously, DJ, you are very well known for hop hop forward beers and um, status quo is a very hop forward beer. It's a New England uh, pale ale. Where, as you watch where the market's going, we're seeing lagers come back. We're seeing a, you know, a, a real fracturing of of styles. What 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 interests you, or where, or, or what worries you about where the beer market is going for the compared to the beers you're making now? You know, to be honest, I, I'm never really worried about where the beer market goes. One because 
you know, we're, we are a hop forward brewery. I, I love hops. And, you know, to be honest, looking still at the U.S. and the U.K., which do always seem to be a little bit ahead of Australia, um, you know, IPA is still king. Like, at the end of the day, like, yeah, they've got lagers. They've got, you know, these other styles. They've got sour beers coming out. But, like, all of these breweries, their bread and butter is still IPA, like, any day of the week. Um, but, you know, even beyond that, like, if, if all of a sudden things shifted and it was like, I don't know, some, everybody was like, we want a Schwartz beer and all we'll ever drink is a Schwartz beer. Well, like, we're happy with that. I still think we have the number one rated Schwartz beer on Untapped. <laughs> so we'll just make Schwartz beer all the time. Like, you know, it, it, nice, as long nice as, bit of promotion there. <laughs> everybody's been going for that Schwartz beer category, and I'm pretty sure that we have it. But I haven't checked. I'll have to ask Pat. It's He's so the one competitive. Who keeps me. Yeah, everybody's going for Schwartz beer. Top Schwartz beer in the country. Um, you know, I, I mean, we, we really pride ourselves on having, like, a very rounded brew team, like a brew team that, like, we take as much pride in producing our lagers as we do in producing our New England IPAs. Um, we take as much pride in producing our West Coast IPAs as we do, like, our traditional, like, you know, German wheat beers. So, you know, like, it, it doesn't really scare me to where beer goes because, you know, we're, we're a company that just pride ourselves on making really good beer at the end of the day and if that beer that everybody is like super pumped on and and wants to drink is something different than what we're making well we'll make that <laughs> will we ever see a mountain culture rice lager for example i think we made yeah one. we made one. Oh, yeah. you made one okay there yeah. you go I think we've gone was that a- about 250 recipes uh or 250 different uh yeah releases so far um so yeah we did have a rice lager uh out one point or another. Salted lager, rice <laughs> lager. I'll, I'll have to be more attentive to the marketplace. <laughs> Is there anything else that you guys, you know, anything that you've got up coming up that you would like to promote, you know, apart from going out and uh, trying status quo if you haven't already? No, I think we are just really excited that one of the things that, that was really awesome to see when with the whole Gabs thing was all the comments being like, mountain culture, never heard of them. And so it's really awesome to think that, that they've been inspired to go and pick up our beer now on the back of that. So we're excited for, for people who've, who've never had mountain culture to now go out and try it. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. And um, I'm hoping people come up to Emu Plains and to Katoomba and, and try all of our different beers off tap. Um, there may even be a rice lager on soon. So, yeah, that's what – and I just want to keep keep brewing cool shit. It's really all I want to do in the future. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to stop it. So, uh, Harriet and DJ McCready, congratulations, and thank you very much for joining us for this conversation. Thank Thanks, you, Matt. Matt. I'll, uh, I'll update my contact uh, for you and my phone. <laughs> so I know who's calling next time we win the Hottest 100. Well, mate, I, I, it made me feel a little bit like Madonna. You know, yeah. when you're sort of saying that, you know, it's just Matt. It's Matt. <laughs> and that was DJ and Harriet McCready. If you liked this conversation and would like to make sure that we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think we're the most targeted way to do that. We have the conversations that the industry listens to, and you can be heard too. Shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise with us. If you're a listener and you see a little bit of value in what we do, you can kick in a few dollars a month by sponsoring the show. You know the deal, for as little as a cup of coffee a month, and that's half a schooner, you'll see a link in the show notes to how you can click through and do that. 
If not, you can still review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service and help other people find us. That is a great way to help us out. And you can be part of the conversation. You can email us at producer at bruisenews.com.au to share your thoughts. We'll also be back this Friday with Bruise News Week, diving deeply into the news of the week, and we look forward to joining you again then.